Let's pray. Father, we just come to you by faith. We by faith plead the blood of Jesus upon ourselves, upon your church, upon your people, everywhere, Lord. The blood, the blood, the blood. And we speak the blood of Jesus against every power of darkness. Though evil will join hand by hand, your word says they will not prevail. They will fall to the ground and they will perish. Because that is the victory you've won for us on the cross, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Even tonight when we are here, Lord, we pray and we plead the blood of Jesus upon our ears that we might hear what you are teaching us tonight. Give us hearing ears, believing hearts, the will to obey, and Father, the strength from the Holy Spirit, Lord. We may have all three, but without strength, without power, it is still useless. So we need the power of your Spirit released in our lives so that we will walk in obedience to every truth we hear, Lord. Thank you, Father. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So 2018, 31 days. We are at the end. And the less than five hours, the first month is over. Now all the little, not little children, they're no longer little, right? Except for Abigail and Emmy, children sitting here. You know, when you're academic year, not year, academic year begins. Okay, children, I'm give, giving you, trying to teach where the youngest to the oldest understand with illustrations. You know, when you start your school year, you have first what is called weekly test. Doesn't bother you much because the portion is very little. Then you have monthly test. Then you have what is called quarterly test. Then you will have half yearly test. Then comes the final. Final, suddenly you realize the entire portion is there. That's when you start panicking. But every test from the monthly test onwards was a preparation for the final test. Okay? But you also realize, for the fellow who is wandering on the road and not inside the school, these tests don't matter at all. So life doesn't begin for a student with tests. It begins with admission. Okay? The first thing you need, admission. And like remember the old illustrations, once you come through the school gate, it's not, at first you need admission to come through the school gate. It is not academics first. First is the discipline. Are you on time? Are you in uniform? Right? First thing is not academics. First thing is admission. After that is discipline. And then comes academics. Okay? Because like, um, Two days back, a, a child from one of my Nepali church came. She's studying in one of the colleges over here. She had fallen and she had a clot in her brain. And she had to be treated, gone to North, um, to Bhutan, came back. But in the process, she missed her entire semester. So when she went to the college, the authorities said, sorry, you have to miss the whole semester because you don't even have a single day's admission, uh, attendance. So understand, academics alone won't matter. You want to write your exam, you need attendance. So remember, there is procedure and these procedures are also what is there in God's kingdom. It all begins with admission. And also remember about admission in a school. For admission into a school, first you must value education. 
Okay, when my parents first went to that country, they were the first teachers to go into that country. Okay, education had just begun. So often you had to really go and get the students because they did not know education, they did not value education. Often students just disappeared from the school and never came back. So I know stories about where my father had to go to the village and get the kids back because the parents said, what's the point in being in the school? Harvest is there, there's nobody to work. Okay? One of those men, when I went years later, he looked at me and he said, "You are you that man's son? I said, yes. And he said, do you know who I am? I said, I don't remember. I said, this is who I am. I work for the UN now. He said, I was one of the peep boys who went back to the village and your father picked him up, told my father, brought him and he kept me with you in your house. Do you remember? I grew up with you. Your father kept me in your house and then I finished my exams. He put me in junior college. Then I went to India. I studied and today I work for the UN. So you see, admission is also connected with if you are interested in Education. If you don't know value education, nobody is bothered about admission. Okay. So if you study the Gospels in chronological order, Jesus' ministry, one of his first acts in his ministry is at a wedding at Ghana. Interesting. It doesn't begin with teaching. doesn't begin with preaching. It begins at a wedding. And at the wedding, what we are shown is the wine has run out. What we are shown is the emptiness of life. It's a wedding, but the wine has run out. A day of joy actually can end up as a day of gloom. A day of shame and embarrassment. You getting it? What God is pointing through that first act of Jesus in public is that there is a day. There is a day coming, the day of final exam, the day when results are announced. The Bible talks about the day in this manner. Two two days are there, okay? One of these days is this, Revelation 19. And I heard as it were the voice of the great multitude, as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering say, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for Marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Marriage of the Lamb, there's a marriage day coming. A great wedding day coming. But for that wedding day, he was always ready. The day he died and rose again, he was ready. But he's been waiting for his bride to get ready. Okay. It's a preparation for that day. That is the lesson we get from John chapter 2. Only Jesus can make us ready for that day. The bride makes herself ready, but she cannot get ready without Jesus. And when that day comes, suddenly that day will come, we should not be ashamed like the wedding at Ghana. We shouldn't be embarrassed. We shouldn't be frightened. All these things will happen. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 28, Now little children abide in him. 
that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be shit. When Jesus went into the wedding of Cana, a day of shame became a day of joy. Okay, so God says, abide in him, be rooted in him. But it all begins with admission. So in John chapter 2, when you look in chronological order, John chapter 2, do he introduces to us, there is a day coming. Without me, that day will be a day of gloom. It will be a day of no confidence at all. It will be a day of great shame. And it can be a day of great terror for those who are not saved. For those who are not saved, it is a terrible day. For those who are saved, if we were not prepared, it can be a day of no confidence, of terrible shame, embarrassment, everything. Not terror, because you are a child, but of terrible shame, knowing what you have missed. That's John chapter 2. Okay, He puts first in perspective. This is the day you are being prepared for. But it all begins with first what? Admission. Okay? All begins with admission. So John chapter Chapter 3, the next chapter, you have an encounter with one of the most educated and religious men in that society. And to him, Jesus tells very clearly, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you are talking about medals and prizes and crowns and all. Let me tell you, you don't even have admission. You are not even in the school. So, there is no point of talking about weekly tests, monthly tests, quarterly tests or final tests. You are incredibly educated. You know the entire scripture by heart. You are a ruler of the Jews, but you are out of the school. You cannot write any exam. You need to write anything. You need to get in first. You need to get in first. Why I am telling you this, remember, all these talks about separation and sanctification, crowns and all, will have no lasting effect on people who are not actually born again. Will have no effect. You will hear, you will get excited, but when you go over there, it just goes away. Why? You are still outside the school. Understand, if you are in the school, suddenly the teacher comes and says, next week there is an exam, you are all. But you are walking on the road and you hear this one teacher's voice coming from the window across the wall, next week there is exam, how does it bother that fellow? Understand spiritual state, okay? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus put it this way. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way. Which leads to life. And there are very few who find it. There's very few. Many enter, very few finish. Very, very few finish. Okay? So he's putting it in context. Entering into this kingdom and finishing from the school of God, very few will. You really have to strive. KJV will use the term. You have to really strive. And every one of us knows when it comes to class 10, it's a rider. When it comes to class 12, it's another story altogether. 
डिग्री फर्स्ट ईयर सेकेंड ईयर थर्ड ईयर एस यू गो हायर एंड हायर एंड हायर द रोड गेट्स नैरोअर एंड मोर एंड मोर डिफिकल्ट कैशुअलिटीज ऑन द वे ओके एम्बुलेंसेस आर गोइंग पिकिंग पीपल एंड टेकिंग द मेनी मेनी सो दैट्स वॉट जीसस इज से बट यू हैव टू सी द हार्ट ऑफ गॉड द एक्सटेंड गॉड विल गो आउट ऑफ दिस वे टू गेट द पुअर द हर्टिंग into the kingdom of god so you will see john chapter 4 like abel was you know raj was praying god goes out of the way walks all the way to get one poor hurting woman into the kingdom of god in the next chapter you will see him going to a pool at bethsaida to get a crippled a crippled man lying there for 38 years in his sin in his sickness in his misery into the kingdom of god he will be tired at the end of a day's ministry still get into a boat hearing his father the holy spirit speaking cross the sea and go to the gadarenes to get a demon possessed man into the kingdom so god is not a teacher who doesn't like his students who wants to fail them god is a father who wants to get everybody and anybody inside if possible never doubt the heart of god never doubt the heart he wants to get people in and it doesn't matter what your background is he wants to get to it but even to this samaritan woman the first encounter we have after nicodemus this is makes very clearly the purpose of salvation there is salvation and there is a purpose of salvation the purpose of salvation he says the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such what is the father seeking father is seeking those who want to worship him in spirit and in truth now when we use the term worship because of our constrained understanding imagination we put that 15 minutes on a wednesday 30 minutes on a sunday has worship it's not specifically that you see our relationship with one another the bible calls it fellowship my relationship with god is called worship it's not restricted to 15 minutes or 30 minutes a man's entire relationship with god is called worship and a man's entire relationship with one another is called fellowship and god says the purpose of salvation is he is looking for people who will worship him or have a relationship with god in spirit and in truth we are not getting into that okay that's why we are told seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness because the father is also seeking for true worshipers okay then jesus takes he studies scriptures in its order he takes his disciples through this journey and then at the end gives them a commission we know the commission in matthew 28 the end therefore go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and the holy spirit teaching them okay teach that's why you are here teaching them because teaching is the fundamental process of making disciples but teaching alone won't make a disciple the one who has taught has to observe or obey all things that i have commanded you and lo i am with you always even to the end i am with you till the end you teach them to obey everything that i have taught you pass it on and teach them to obey that's how the scripture ends and all his teachings 
if you study carefully, are connected with the kingdom of God and getting a people prepared for it, for the kingdom that is coming, prepared. So if you go down the order of his teaching of his three and a half years, by the time you come to Matthew 24, he talks about the end times. End times. By the time you come to Matthew 25, you have the parable of the ten virgins. Five wise, five foolish. Then you have the parable of the talent. It's all talking about the end, when judgment will happen, what will happen. Okay, final exam ke din mein kya hoga? Five wise, five foolish. Five out, five in. Parable of the talents. Those who gave what God gave it to them and used it for the kingdom. Those who hid it. So you are coming now to the end of his ministry. Okay? And then you have the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he finishes his teaching then. Matthew chapter 25, when he finishes his teaching... That is his final teaching. With that it ends. So 25, 46, his last line of teaching is recorded. What does it say? And this will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So what began at the wedding of Kana ends up with this. He says, ultimately there will be a division. One set will go to eternal punishment. One will go into eternal life. Okay, so study is careful, understand what Christ's purpose of salvation is, what salvation is, what purpose of salvation is, what is the kingdom of God now, what is the kingdom of God that is coming. So somewhere in the middle of this, okay, like if you have 26 chapters, the middle of it would be 13, right? So 26 onwards, he's talking to his disciples, the last supper, okay? So in Matthew 13, if you remember, he talks about the parable of the wheat and the tares. All the many parables are there. Okay, one of them is the parable of the wheat and the tear. Tear means weeds. Okay. If you remember in the final parable in Matthew twenty-five, in the final chapter of parables, you have the parable of the sheep and the goats. There is something similar about both these parables: the wheat and the tares, and the sheep and the goats. If you look into your field. You will see both wheat and tares growing together. And if you look at a pasture, you will see both the sheep and the goat grazing together. But at the end, there is a separation. At the end, there is a separation. So for tonight, we are just looking at the parable of the wheat and the tares. Okay? We will look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30, and Jesus himself explains it in 37 to 43. We read both. Another parable he put forth to them saying, okay, always listen to this word. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Always remember, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Kingdom of heaven is like. So understand. Kingdom of heaven is like. He's trying to explain through all these parables. What is the kingdom of heaven like? You are being prepared for the kingdom of God. If you have genuinely born again, you have already entered. It is there in seed form. You are being prepared for that. He says, it's like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. 
So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tears? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So there is this story in parable form about the kingdom of God. It tells at the end what will happen. One set goes into the fire, the other set goes into the father's or the master's barn. The disciples want to know what does this mean. And he explains it to them very beautifully. The Lord himself will tell. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. Very simple. Okay, very simple. I mean, I mean, he is teaching an incredibly simple rural community. So he will use illustrations which they are living daily and understand easily. He won't use like we do robotics and all. <laughs> that they will go round and round without understanding what it is. But to you, we use robotics, engineering and all because you are supposedly educated. These are simple people. Okay? Now let's look at what it is. In verse 37 and verse 38, he said, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. There is somebody who sows the seed. That is Jesus himself. The field is the world. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. So in this world, there are two kinds of seeds. The sons of the kingdom and the sons of the devil. Jesus always talked about two fathers. He said, you are of your father, the devil. And he taught us to pray our father who art in heaven. So there are two fathers and two kinds of sons and two kinds of seeds. Keep that in mind. Okay. So the son of man's Jesus sows the good seed at the sons of the kingdom. The devil also is a sower. He also sows and his sons are the tares. So if you come down to verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. He's just a sower. He imitates everything God does. Only problem is his seed is different. His seed is different because he cannot have genuine seed. Both the weed, sorry, the wheat and the tares or the weeds have the common experience of being planted. But the difference is the nature of the seed. Wheat will produce wheat. Tares will produce tares. That is why Jesus says in John chapter 3 and verse 6, John 3, verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That is which is born of spirit is spirit. Born of flesh is flesh. Born of spirit is spirit. 
we saw last Wednesday when you were here, again in talking about the seed, then the, the seed, the actual seed. In First Peter chapter 1 verse 23, we saw, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, that is the tares, but incorruptible through what is that? The word of the word of God is the incorruptible seed. Okay? The word of God does certain things which the weed can never do. The word of God produces a genuine reaction in people, which is called the born again experience, which leads to repentance, which deals to remorse, and then a crying out to God where he gives us your spirit. Okay? That only the word of God can do. Okay? That is the seed. What is the nature of the seed? It's James 1.18. Okay, the nature of this seed. There is a seed and the nature of the true seed. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the nature of that seed is, it is truth. That is why Jesus came with grace and with truth. If I don't receive the truth, I can never be born again. And after being born again, if I don't consistently receive the truth about myself and the truth about God, keep repenting and accepting it and changing, I will never grow in the truth. So the Samaritan woman, he has so much compassion, so much pity, so much love for her, walks all the way. But when she thinks she's ready to receive eternal life, he says, go get your husband. She says, I have no husband. He said, absolutely right, you're true. Because the fellow you're living with now is not your husband, he's your boyfriend. You had five husbands, you left them all, and you're living with your sixth one. And when she accepts that, she acknowledges truth. So as long as we don't acknowledge truth, in some cases we have to acknowledge truth. That's all God asks. Some cases he asks us to make restitution. In Zacchaeus' case, he had to make restitution because he had taken from others. So he said, half from who all I have taken, I will give. Four times over, half my wealth, I will sell it and give it to the poor. This is salvation has come. The word of God has worked in your life. It has worked. It's worked. Some cases we just have to acknowledge because it's, we can't do anything about it. It's in your past. What can you do? It's gone. But God says, will you acknowledge you are wrong? Will you acknowledge you are wrong? No. The woman you gave it to, the serpent, he can't do anything but just kick them out. It's all he can do. He came there mercifully to hope to restore them. They will not acknowledge because they don't acknowledge they have to be kicked out of the garden of Eden. Next he comes and asks Cain, don't do it. Sin is waiting to grab hold of you. He doesn't listen to it. Go kills his brother. Even then God doesn't come to punish him. He says, where is your brother? All he had to do is, ah, forgive me, forgive me, I killed my brother. God says, okay, now let us see what I can do. That's not what he says, am I my brother's keeper? Okay, so where there is no acknowledgement of sin, truth hasn't worked. Understand that, okay, fundamentals of getting admission. So the wheat and the tear. The wheat is born of genuine, incorruptible seed. That is the word of truth. That's why people love religion. Religion doesn't confront you. Religion doesn't confront you. You are the you, you are the boss. This is my God. Agarvati, this thing, and then and you don't want it, pull the screen and go about. Evening, come back and give him what he wants. That's all. That one doesn't demand any change from you. 
But the living God will encounter you every day because he's preparing a place for you and me and that we have to be fit for that place. Okay, understand why people like religion. Because religion doesn't confront you. Doesn't confront you. Truth confronts you every day. It does. So you have wheat and you have tares. That's what Jesus talks about. One field, that's the world. Two sowers, two kinds of seeds. One works in the light. God is light. There is no darkness in him. The other works in the dark. He doesn't work in the light. When people were sleeping. Always looking for opportunities when people are in Iran. God is not there in the garden. He comes. Husband is not there. So he goes to the wife. He's always looking for opportunities where he can work in. Dark meaning doesn't mean absence of this light. Though it, it also means that. That's why all the robberies take place in dark because they know even the surveillance cameras cannot pick up things in the dark. Okay, so darkness is where the enemy works. In verse 26, scripture says, When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appear. Verse 30, scripture talks about, Let them both grow till harvest time. So there is, both are growing. Wheat is also growing. Tares are also growing. And their growth growing side by Side, side by side. They're growing side by side. The servants have a question. I believe the servants, in, I mean, we don't have to make it into a literal, this is something happening in heaven. No. This is using a parable to teach. But let's talk about the servants as the angels. The angels are asking this question to God in verse 27 to 30. You know? So the servants of the honor came and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then did you have tears? When you created Adam and Eve, weren't they good? Weren't they holy? Weren't they like you? Then how did all these people come out? The question they ask, he said, an enemy has done this. Who did it? An enemy did it. So the servant says, do you want to go us and gather them up? What do they He's saying, shall we go and weed them? Shall we get rid of the weed? That's the cry of evil. Lord, deal with evil, deal with evil. Says, what did he say? But he said, no, don't do it. Don't, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Wait till harvest time. Interesting what Jesus says. Okay. Let them grow. Let them grow. He says, often in reality, it's impossible to tell the wheat from the tear. Until they are matured. You can't tell them apart. Okay? That's why one of the reasons God says one should be careful not to judge anyone as saved or not saved. Only God knows. But one can examine oneself. Okay, one can examine. So we know that familiar portion, Second Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourself whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ the good seed is in you. The seed in you is the original seed. That's what you examine. When you examine, if you're looking at all your works and resume, he says, you could be a tear. When you examine yourself, all you see is that you are the chief of sinners and Christ still is there crying out unto you every day. You are safe. 
yourself. Okay, he says, when you look inside, do you see two people? One, you say, I just can't stand myself. Then you look at it and says, you know what, Jesus, all I want to surrender, let you grow, Lord. My faith is in you, not in myself. God says, you are safe. So examine yourself. Okay, examine yourself. In Peter, Peter will put it this way. Therefore, brethren, even be more diligent to make your call and election sure. Okay, very sure. If you do these things, you will never stumble can be very confident and unashamed on the day of judgment. Absolutely. One thing that distinguished the wheat was at harvest time. God said something interesting. He said, wait till harvest time. This harvest time has many connotations. An individual life and a corporate life. Okay? I mean a community. Why did the owner say, wait till the harvest time? You see, when they grow together. Now Jesus is beautifully explaining it to the people. Now we are all blue collar, white collar workers. We don't know what a field looks like. We have never tilled the ground. I have. You haven't. Maybe maybe some of you have. I have planted, watered, done everything and I still enjoy it. I'm looking for the day when I can have my own little plot of promised land. Okay. So what happens is when they are growing up together, the tares and the weed growing up together, both underneath the ground and over the ground, they get intertwined. They get intertwined. So if you pull up a weed, you may by chance pull up a weed too. He says, angels, right? All their lives are intertwined. All their lives are intertwined. The lives are all intertwined. So you go and say, justice now, I pull a wicked one along with ten, five righteous may perish. Or you pull up five wicked one, one righteous may perish. And the fundamental principle of law, what is the fundamental principle of law? Let a thousand guilty escape, but let not one innocent be punished. Understand fundamental principle of law. Here the fundamental principle of law is not like that. Let a thousand guilty escape but punish the innocent one. Okay? Fundamental principle of law is always this. Even if a thousand guilty escape by mistake when you put across justice, an innocent should not be punished. Okay? So God says, no, wait, 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 wait. All their lives are intertwined. We want to eliminate evil. But God tells us, you don't worry, you seek righteousness, seek my kingdom. I will handle evil in its own time. I know how to handle evil, you don't know. Because you don't see the complexities from above how lives are all intertwined. Okay? Are you getting the picture? Jesus says, outer appearance, don't go by outer appearance. They look alike. To judge the false and the true is God's job. We don't understand. In First Samuel chapter 16, this is what God tells inside one family. One family. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God says, you know what? Jesse's got eight kids. How many kids have Jesse have? See, only parents know, I may have, not I may have, I have, I have five kids. Okay? All five kids are different. How they show their love is also different. They don't show. Now one may be very huggy, huggy, huggy. 
and may be very silent. Now, if you are a huggy, huggy, huggy person, you will say, only this loves me, this one doesn't love me, when this one may actually love you more. Okay? That's what God, as parents, as people, we need to understand, God has made us all different. We are not the same. But at the core, God is trying to make us same. How we express it may be differently. But he says, don't look at the outside appearance. Jesus got all these eight kids. Seven of them are smart, tall and handsome, all sitting at home. One fellow whom you don't see, it's a small fellow, is out there in the wilderness, has listened to his father. He says, that's the guy I have picked because I have seen his heart. Seen his heart. Okay, so God says, don't judge anybody. Beat and tears, look. The same until harvest time. They look the same. That's why last uh, last Wednesday, what did we look? We looked at first at what? The secret life. Right? Jesus talked about a secret life. He says, when you give, give secretly. When you pray, pray secretly. When you fast, fast secretly. Okay, look at two terms. Uh, one term he uses in that illustration, Matthew 6. Okay, I want to look at that. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you ask the hypocrisy. Let's come to prayer. Next one, 6. Yeah, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Okay, who is the hypocrite? The hypocrite is the weed who looks like the wheat. Now let's be very clear about it so that nobody has any confusion about it. We were all hypocrites. And in so many levels, we are still hypocrites. Okay? Hypocrite is basically a Greek term. Okay? The actors who put the mask during drama, they put the mask. So a hypocrite means a person who's acting a part. But when the drama is over, when he takes off his mask, he's another person. So we were all split personalities. Okay? So we all had something we were at home and something we were outside. Then at home also something when we were alone and something when we were with the family. And God says what he's trying to salvation is making us into one person. Where your inside and your outside is the same. That is what God is doing. And he says first stage is being born again in the image of God. And then the inside it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and makes us one person. Our issue is that when we meet people who are one outside and inside, we are scared by them. Like my wife, I'm telling openly, she has no guile in her heart. She's one person inside and outside. So when people like that will be openly about say, this is what I was, this is what I am, we get scared. How can you be so open? How can you be so upfront? She will look you in the eye and tell you exactly what she feels and love you also with the whole heart. Now we cannot be. We cannot love somebody because we got bitterness inside so we'll pretend we love them when we are not loving them. So even when they are wrong, we are not able to be angry with them because we are split inside. Jesus is not split inside. He loves Peter and will go to the cross of Peter and tell Peter, get behind me Satan. You don't have the will of God in your heart. Okay, understand how it works. Understand how it works. We are all split. That's how. We are all split. Born again process and growing in salvation is making us into one whole person. 
That's what God is trying to make us. We have our inside and outside. That is what salvation is. That is why the Samaritan woman who is so ashamed and embarrassed and nobody will fellowship with her comes in the midday time to draw water all alone and Jesus understands her. Nobody will approach her and she cannot come since everybody waits for her when she approaches her. When she delivers her, she runs straight back to the town. Leaves a pot and tells the men of the city, come and see the Messiah is here. That's what salvation does. Suddenly you realize you are being made whole. You are being made one person. So understand the term Jesus is using. That's why Jesus will say you are the light of the world and do your works so that your works will be visible to anybody. Next chapter he will say do it in secret. What is he saying? You continuously do it in secret and the inner man grows and grows and grows and it flows outside until you are one man. Your secret life cannot be hidden. It becomes a visible life. Because you are one person. On the other hand, you only have a visible life and no secret life. Then God says you will be always split. Always split. And you will always walk under condemnation knowing that this is what I should do. This is not what I am. What does Paul say? Most wretched man. The things which I want to do, I don't do. The things which I don't want to do, I do. Who will save me? He says Jesus Christ. Salvation is the process of making a man, a woman, a child whole. Okay. So we were all weeds. We were all hypocrites. God, when his original seed came, if he took the original seed, he's in the process of making us whole. One person, like Jesus, authentic. He's trying to make us authentic. One person. You know, this is real incident where this uh, gentleman was driving and he was at the traffic light. He had stopped but he got busy with something and there was a lady behind him and the light had changed. He didn't see. She honked, 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 honked. Then opened a window, shouted, drummed, everything. Gave him then full you know, Latin, Greek, all that. But the fellow's glasses were up so he didn't hear at all and she didn't know behind her a police car was parked. was Had come. So uh, the light suddenly changed. This man left, but the policeman came in and knocked on the door and said, Lady, get down, put your hands on the car. And he arrested her, took her to the police station, did the fingerprint, everything, this thing and all. And then he looked at the papers and said, I'm sorry, I'm releasing you. I mistook that you had stolen this car because at the back of your car was the sticker. Jesus is my shepherd, the way of the cross and all that. But your behavior and the sticker didn't match. So I thought you had stolen the car. That's how, because America, a lot of people everywhere, they steal cars and go. But the sticker may not match your nature inside. So that's what God is talking about. He's trying to make us into one person. I am a Christian. Christian meaning in Christ. And then our behavior is scuppered. And he says, I'm trying to make you one person. That the label you have and the person you are becomes one. Okay? One. Understand that. That's why we are called to examine ourselves. So don't get shocked on the day of harvest. God says work, grow. See, God works, waits patiently. Even as evil increases. Wheat and the tares are growing together. 
now we will always think in terms of a field a paddy field or a you know wheat field where what is thrown is all wheat and a few tares are there god says be careful don't make that illustration i told you this is the world meaning mostly tares with a few wheat thrown around but we in the minute we take the illustration we think about the paddy field a ah, few tares are there god says no god says they're growing together and i was patiently waiting okay patiently during the times of noah god waited patiently until the time of harvest in the process one man was building an ark building an ark and seven got it and then the time of the harvest came the whole world perished one family escaped times of lot Sodom and Gomorrah both are growing together 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 it's only on the day of harvest suddenly you understand one is righteous the others are not so the righteous is taken out and the others are burnt nobody realized only god realized god told abraham you go live walk die in peace a day of amorites will come when the amorites are ripe for harvest in the process what i am doing i'm going to take your people out of here take them to egypt allow the amorites to grow here make them into a nation bring them into the wilderness sanctify them they will go and they will harvest the amorites and they will possess the land so god has a way of harvesting and he says let them all grow together let them all grow together until the harvest is ripe In Revelation chapter 14 this is how he puts and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud thrust your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is right this is the righteous said put your sickle harvest ready for harvest only harvest time only we will know next he who sat on the cloud thrust his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped next verse yeah Another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire and he cried with a loud cry to him who had a sharp sickle saying remember another one who had power over weed was tied up and burned the next one who comes has power over fire thrust your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the wine of the earth for the grapes are fully ripe so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth gathered the wine of the earth and threw it into the grain wine press of the wrath of god to harvest Only yet, when it is ripe, they're growing side by side. Nobody has any clue. Only God knows. One is harvested and taken into the barn. The other is harvested and goes into the wrath of God. They look the same. God waits till harvest time. So you see, Jesus, like always, if you study, he was an incredible teacher. Incredible, who knew his students? Okay, incredible teacher is not one who has knowledge, who understands his students too, and teaches so they understand. Okay, harvest time is when the fruit becomes visible. When the fruit becomes, that's why he said, "Wait for harvest." That is when you differentiate the wheat and the tares. Okay, why did he say wait till the harvest time? now let me get into you what he meant okay because he's speaking to them they understood he's speaking to us we don't understand because we don't know anything about wheat or tares when a wheat 
ripens. Okay, the head of the wheat. The kernels are full. Okay, and the head of the wheat becomes heavy. Okay, and when it is ripe, it bends down. The tares, when it is ripe, its head is very light. It stands. At harvest time, you will suddenly see in the same field, one set of plants down, one set of plants standing up. It's very easy to differentiate. Which are all bent down. Tears are all standing up. That is the first sign. First sign. Remember the first sign. That is what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me all you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What do you have to learn? What do you have to learn from him? I am gentle and lowly in heart. First sign of the real seed You are of the real seed. He said, as you grow for harvest, you become more meek, more humble, more gentle in your life. That is the first sign. While the tears look the same, and they will be always standing up in their pride, and there is no meekness in them. Look for the first sign. Harvest feels this. It's easy. You will make make it out. He says. One will be bent. One will be standing up. How do you know you are going to Jesus and not going to church? How do you know you have taken his yoke? How do you and I know we have taken his yoke? He says, take my yoke upon yourself. How do we know we have learned of him? He says, examine you. Don't examine others. Examine yourself. Over a period of time, are you growing more gentle, more humble, more meek? Are we growing in meekness? Remember, as time goes on, only God can do it. Knowledge cannot do it. Talent cannot do it. Gifts of the Holy Spirit cannot make you meek. Only God can make us meek. Or are we become more arrogant, more unteachable? You know, 40 years later, you will suddenly see three people, three officers they have. One is Moses. Who is he? Brought the people out of Israel. He doesn't have an office, technically speaking. There is Aaron with all his wonderful robes, high priest. There is Miriam with her tamarind. She's the prophetess. Who's meek? Only Moses. Only Moses. God says, with each year, that guy is growing meeker and meeker and meeker to the point he's the meekest man on earth. I can talk to him face to face because he's just like me inside. I am meek. He's meek. We can always hold a conversation. When I have to talk to Miriam or Aaron, it is impossible. Impossible. With Moses, it is possible. Though he's the youngest, age doesn't matter. Though he's the youngest, he's the meekest. He's the meekest. That's the first sign 
Remember, we are not talking about the fruit. We are talking about what the fruit does to the plant. We are not talking about the fruit at all here. If the fruit in you is genuine of God, it will show in your entire plant life, in the entire plant, you will be meek, you will be, you are teachable. Then only we can even examine the fruit. The first sign he says at the harvest time, you will know. You see, Jesus met thousands and thousands of people in his three and a half year journey on earth ministry. But only to a few, he said, follow me. And only that few he taught. Because the first thing he looks for is meekness. The sign of meekness is you will do what you are told. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 61, look at Now it happened as they journeyed on the road. Someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you. He says, really? Wherever I go? Let me tell you. I'm not a prosperity preacher. Let me tell you. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his. If you read the entire, that fellow disappeared. There's no more mention of him at all. As soon as he heard it, (laughs) he disappeared. Okay, he's not there. Next guy. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord. He calls him Lord. Word is all fine. But let me first go. How can he call somebody Lord and put his command second? That's my question. Let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. There's nothing mentioned whether he did it. Next one. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. You see, all this has got to do with this. One Lord and first. Because you can't call God Lord and they say something else is first in your life. You are not meek. You cannot be taught. You won't take my yoke upon yourself. You cannot be taught. If you look really with the eyes of the world, with understanding everything, all our experience, honestly, we will not pick Peter. We will not pick Andrew. We will not pick James. We will not pick John. We will not pick any of these are ruffians. They are fishermen, they have no culture, they have no language, they are rough people outwardly if you look at them. But they have something which others don't have. They have meekness. They are rough, unlettered, unschooled, not very polite in the way they talk, but they have meekness. And that look at what happens now. And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Going on from there, at once, immediately, they were the act of fishing, and straight away left their nets and followed him. You see, they were meek. Who, which, which one of us? Which one of us? We're all working in companies. Which one of us will leave your job and walk away? I mean, we'll go, oh, I'm working in an IT company and I have a contract and all. Those days there were no IT companies, no contract. This is what people did. They left. They left. 
And Jesus walked further. On going on, he saw two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And we talked about sons of thunder. These are the guys who wanted to bring fire down from above. These are the guys who wanted to sit on the right. God said, that's all true. But you didn't see what I saw. They immediately left the ship and there. You see, it's meekness. When the Lord calls you, it's when the Lord calls you, you obey. It's meekness. Let's go a little further. Immediately left, okay? And Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Now this guy is making big money. Everybody, I see, he's a crook, he's a betrayer, he has joined with the Romans and he's fleecing us. All these things they have to say. One thing they don't see is what Jesus sees. This guy is meek. He said to him, follow me. What does scripture say? He arose, he left everything there and followed him. Okay. The first thing is that what God is looking for. That's the first sign. It's shocking. This is shocking. For sign. When you examine my IXR, we examine our lives. Do we see meekness? Because we say, uh, how is meekness reflected? Scripture says meekness is actually reflected in obedience. Meekness is reflected in obedience. And obedience actually in Scripture, I mean, we don't become all this in one day, okay? Don't get, oh Lord, when go on the road. That's why he says, be on the way. I am the way. Stay in that way. Grow in that way. Obedience is reflected in three different ways. First thing, or most important, especially when you're young or old. Psalm 119 verse 60. I made haste and did not delay. Be quick to obey. Don't delay obedience because there is something which I told the told the church at, at the Telugu church. I said, you know something about God when He speaks to us, only speaks to us during a day which is called today. He doesn't speak to us yesterday. He doesn't speak to us tomorrow. He says, when you hear my voice today, don't harden your heart. When God has spoken to you and to me something today, if we keep it for tomorrow, it won't work. Because God is the God of today. Anyone who comes to God must believe that He is. He is. He is. Make haste. Instant obedience. Learn that. Delayed obedience also is better than no obedience. Okay, doesn't mean you shouldn't obey at all. Okay, I didn't obey today, so he won't obey anymore. No, that's not what it means. I'm saying it's always better. It's better as a practice to learn to obey. Okay, first is instant obedience. Do not delay. I made haste. Second thing, I'm not giving you scripture because we know the best. When you obey, don't obey partially. Obey wholly, fully. Saul was disqualified from the throne and lost his life because of partial obedience. Ananias and Sapphira lost their lives in the church because of part. That's what Peter said. Wasn't the whole thing yours? The whole thing was yours. You could have kept it. Nobody asked for it. So why did you come and pretend that you were giving the whole when you kept part? Their obedience was part. No partial obedience led to the destruction of a husband and a wife. So God says, I would prefer you to learn 
instant obedience and i want you to learn whole obedience because partial obedience is in god's eyes disobedience that alone is not enough okay we can be positionally obedient at being at the right place at the right time doing the right thing right place right time doing the right thing doing the whole thing but still be disobedient because we are not happy while doing it not happy while doing it. you are at the right place i am at the right place 7 o'clock i am at the right place i am doing the right thing but god is looking at my heart are you are you do you enjoy obeying me listen to what god says in deuteronomy 28 moreover all these curses shall come upon you and pursue overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the lord your god to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you and they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever why because you didn't obey next verse because you did not serve the lord your god with joyness and gladness of hearts for the abundance of everything what is he saying he's saying when you are actually prospering in life i want to put example as children here you're prospering in life you're young you don't have to worry about anything we worry for you so you don't have to worry about anything honestly children should not worry about what to eat what to drink what to wear you shouldn't worry that's not your problem that's our problem not yours that's what parents are given that's parents problem not yours but you should during the days when you're prospering you are young you don't have any of these issues in your life you should joyfully obey god and you young men when you have jobs and your salary is coming in every month clocked in without and you are prospering joyfully obey god if you don't learn to joyfully obey god during the times of prosperity when difficult time comes you will not obey that's what i going for the abundance of everything what's your problem god is saying i understand you are all children you have been you are grown old but you are all children so i am giving you food to drink eat water to drink clothes to wear sand good exercise nobody is sick nobody is fever but you are not at all happy you know obeying my command obey in haste obey completely obey joyfully looking at this paul will bring god the whole through the holy spirit will tell paul and will teach us in first corinthians chapter 10 nor complain as some of them also complain and were destroyed by the destroyer now all these things happened to them has examples and they were written for our administration why was all these things written he says 31 days of january did you eat did you drink are you clothed do you have a roof over your head are you joyfully obeying god god says continue like this you will be destroyed you will be destroyed you will be destroyed he says because i am the lord who does not change if i don't not destroy you we don't he doesn't actually destroy us we destroy ourselves i don't let you destroy yourself because of your disobedience then i will have to apologize to all the previous generations they grumbled 
while they obeyed. Walking. Pick up your things. Walk. Cloud before you, fire before you, walk. You look in their heart, nobody is happy. Do you eat? Yes. Did you drink? Yes. Was the water good? The best we have ever tasted. How are your clothes? Fine. Any holes? No. How are your shoes? Perfect. Are you sick? No. Are you strong? Yes. Why are you grumbling? Why are you grumbling? They grumbled. So positionally they were at the right place at the right time. Everything is right except the heart. Okay. Understand what meekness means. Psalm 40 and verse 8, the psalmist says, I delight to do your will, oh my God, and your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will. That is where Paul and Silas comes in the prison at Philippi, singing away to glory. Okay, I'm just giving you scriptural parameters by which we examine ourselves. Okay, so that is where scripture says, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Wherever he takes you, you will have this. So the first test is, look at the plant. What has the fruit made the plant? Has it bent down? Are you meek? Not examine the fruit, but look at the plant. Look at your life and say, yes, Lord, you have humbled me. You brought me thus far and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Make me more humble, O oh God, because it's exciting to walk with you. Because when I'm humble, I'm able to walk with you. I'm able to talk with you. I'm able to hear from you. I realize I'm getting meek. I'm not saying you go around telling everybody I'm getting meek. You know whether you're meeker than last month to this month, last year to this month. Okay. Only then we can examine the fruit. We didn't even get to the fruit. Then only we can examine the fruit. The first thing is that, what has the fruit done to the plant? Are you standing stiff and say, examine my fruit? God says, there's no point to examine the fruit. You look at the plant, there's no need. Forget it. Pull him out and throw him out. He says, don't waste time examining the fruit. You look at him, he's standing stiff over there. Throw him out. Then only examine the fruit. Okay, let's do a tiny four minutes more. Tiny examination, only tiny. Okay, Galatians five twenty-two. Now we are looking at the fruit. The fruit of the spirit is. Stop there. Okay, don't go further. Don't even go further. Don't go further. Sunday we looked at Galatians five, six. In Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Matters. All your religious credentials doesn't matter. Only thing is faith working through love. And First Corinthians 13, 1 to 3 only. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, an empty vessel that makes a lot of noise. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am Thing and nothing. You got all these credentials, all these testimonies. He says you are nothing. Verse three. Do I bestow all my goods to feed the poor? You are a very philanthropist. But God says nothing. Do I give my body to be burned sacrificial? You fast three times a day, but have not love. It profits me nothing. God says you want you want to test, examine your fruit. 
Don't go further. Just look at the first one, the major, the most important one. He says, examine your love. Lord, how do I examine your love? I feel so much. God says, don't feel too much. That's your problem. You feel too much. First Corinthians chapter 13, love suffers long and is kind. Stop there. Don't get into anything further, okay? World is full of all kinds of people. Nasty, unkind, rude, angry, bitter, flatterers, and also good people. Every day our love will be tested. That's why God says the love which God has and gives us suffers long and still is kind. That's my issue with people. Always when I have married couples coming, counseling from any church, the first thing I tell them is, okay, I understand all your issues. Why can't you be kind to each other? Why can't you be kind? What's stopping you from being kind? There's issues. You don't have to agree on the issues. You say, I am true. She is not true. She says, I am true. He is not true. That's all okay. One day we will resolve all of it. Nobody knows what is really true until Jesus tells us. But why can't you be kind to people? Why can't you be kind to people? Why can't you be kind? Love suffers long and is kind. Our Raj, not Raj, sorry. Abel only is here, Priyanka, and uh, Zoe is not here. When Zoe was ill, didn't she trouble you? Yeah, She troubled you, I mean, there she won't sleep, she is cranky, she won't eat, she is throwing up all, she makes you suffer. Were you nasty with her? No. Very you kind. So it's not that we don't have it. See, when that's one thing of parenting. Once you become, you have your first child, small one. You suddenly realize it's a completely different ball game. Here is a, it's not like the pictures you see on the screen, okay, young people? So cute, no? I remember once with one kid of mine, I walked 48 hours without sleeping because the child wouldn't stop crying. Holding him upside down, sideways, everywhere. Okay. They do. Do we get nasty? A lot of people, you see all the abuse that's coming up in the papers, what the parents are doing to children. They want to shop, go shopping, they big the toddler, they lock it in the car, when they come back, the toddler is dead. All kind of crazy stuff happening, but they're all on drugs. All on drugs. They lost their rational mind. But what I'm saying, it is not that we don't have. We are very kind with little ones, okay, because we look at them and we know they're helpless. They're helpless. They cannot help themselves. So, we suffer long. And we still are kind to them. God says, can you just put it across in every area of your life? Not saying that you should bend down to an injustice. But you can still be kind. Still be kind. Still be kind. That's what God is talking about. Examine yourself. The wheat and the tears. Because the wheat will have the characteristics of God. What is God? God is love. And God's love is long-suffering and still is kind. God came and told Noah, Noah, build an ark. 
Because I want to destroy this generation. It took 120 years or more or less to build the ark. What did God do? Started knocking off people. He still fed them. He still protected them. He still gave them everything. That's why he says, his reign falls upon the wicked and the... Why? Why are you feeding the righteous, the wicked? Why don't they die all of sickness? Why are you feeding them? They are also wicked. That fellow sitting in North Korea, Kim Sung, why doesn't he have a heart attack and die? God says. God says because I am long-suffering and kind. I am long-suffering and kind. So God, look at fundamental issues of life. Your marks, your physics, chemistry and all, nothing will make a difference in heaven. Your college certificates and your company medals, nothing. God is looking at these parameters. He says, on that day, wait till harvest. He says, wait till harvest. Then you will know the separation because harvest is ripening. When it comes to harvest time, he says, you will see the difference. People all came. Ah, what a wonderful structure. What are you building? Repent for the kingdom of God is near. No, he's called a preacher of righteousness. Everybody came. Everybody saw. Everybody went. Then the animals are coming. All kinds of animals are coming. They all came. Wow. I've never seen this before. They're all getting it. But what scripture says? Noah and his family also got it. And still God left the door open for seven days. Nobody got it. God says, you see, when the time for harvest is near, did you see, they will all get excited. They will all come to see the spectacle. They will listen to everything, but nobody will obey. Nobody will obey, repent and get in through the door because that is salvation. So when the harvest time came, suddenly a difference came in. What Noah and his families and the rest of the people were there. The angels came and they came Lord took them over there. As soon as Lord took them over there, suddenly it was ripe for harvest. The difference came. The people of every man of every age came, knocked at the door of Lord's house and said, bring the young men out. Suddenly harvest. Take them. I want them. Bring them out. We want them to have sex with them. Lord said, please, please, please. He's another fellow. He said, please, please, please. I have two older daughters. Take them. They said, you better get out of the door, otherwise we will do something to you worse. That's when the angels pulled the mill and struck them blind. And scripture says, even in their blindness, they are groping for the door. Why? Harvest is right. Harvest time, exactly. Till then they all looked the same. They sat with the Lord. They talked to the Lord, played with all. They were all sitting in the city gates, judging the affairs of the... When it came harvest time, the inside was revealed. God says, it's time. Pull him out. Destroy the town. That's what God is talking about. Outward, these things, none of these things matter. Are we changing inside and changing consistently? Are we? That's a sign of true life. Life that is born from above. Otherwise, we are just sitting, hearing, reading, taking notes. It's not affecting anything inside. You know, when Sasa close, when Sadhu Sundar Singh, that great saint, Indian, when he came to Kerala, Kerala every year has a very huge convention for Christians. For ages it's been, they call Maraman Convention. Very large, where it's a, it's a, Marthama, they conduct it on the banks of the river. Thousands and thousands. It's been happening for over a hundred years. When Sadhu Sundar Singh came and preached, 
there is one thing he said about Kerala Christians, because Kerala Christians are the oldest Christians in India. He told them, you know what? He said, you are like stones in a water. He said, if you take the stone out of the water, though it has been lying in the water for so many years, you take the stone and break it, inside is dry. He said, you've been soaked in the Bible for 2,000 years, but it has never entered into your heart. It was incredible condemnation or judgment from the mouth of God through a servant who came from Punjab. Which is true. Which is true. The most difficult place to preach the gospel in India is not Uttar Pradesh. It's not Bihar. It's not Gujarat. It's Kerala. Because you go there, they'll say, stay away. We are Syrian Christians. What are you trying to tell us? They will not listen. I'm telling you, they won't listen. They will not listen. That's why Jesus goes and preaches. Who rejected him? The Jews. Who are you? We are sons of Abraham. Who are you? What are you talking about? Maybe you are a great teacher, but we are not. We are sons of Abraham. He's telling them, even before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to kill him. When he went to his own town, Nazareth, they said, isn't that Joseph's son? And he couldn't do anything there. It's amazed because of their unbelief. Don't get familiar with the word. Don't get familiar with the word. You've been sitting here for 8 years, 9 years, 10 years. Don't get familiar with the word. Look at and ask, is the word changing me from within? Am I humbling myself before this word daily and asking, Lord, change me because I don't have the power to change. Change me. That's why Jesus told his disciples, I've taught you all this. is It's irrelevant. Teaching will not change you. If you need to change according to the teaching, you need power. Wait in Jerusalem until you have received power. Our life begins at Jerusalem. Then we go to Judea, Samaria and ends. Every day your life should begin at Jerusalem. That's your closet where you receive the power of God for today. Then you go to Judea, Samaria, wherever he sends you. Your office, your school, your college. Because without his power, I don't have the power to change. The teaching makes me miserable. Because I know it's true. I know it's true. It's true. That is your life begins in Jerusalem. Don't depart from Jerusalem until you have received power. Every day go to your Jerusalem, your spiritual appointed place. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, you spoke to me this yesterday. I'm obeying it. I need more power, Lord, to walk in this conviction. I need power, Lord. I need power to change. And be honest with God. I'm an angry person. I'm a f- I love flattery. I like talking about myself. I like everybody telling me how great I am. This is what I am. Change me, Lord. I want to be like you. Because that's what salvation is. Not to be like me, but to make me like you. Change me. I don't have the power. I need power. Otherwise, we'll go on sitting in the church. Weeds and tears are growing together, together, together. They all look the same until the harvest time comes. Suddenly, simultaneous versal. Put the sickle, the harvest of the earth. One set is taken to the barn. Other thing is poured to the cup of God's wrath. Very careful about these things. Don't take these things lightly. Very lightly. That's how Jesus' teaching ends. In Matthew 25, 41, the final verse is that one sent went into God, other side went into damnation. Nobody knew. There were sheep and goats grazing in the same field until that day came. 
Be very careful. Because God doesn't see stuff like we do. Zakunan preached that very beautifully in his sermon. He says, you know what? Let's say, Peter drinks. It's very visible. He doesn't drink. It's very visible. <laughs> Fellow, always drunk, tottering around. Uh, Moses, right? Albert. Albert gossips. We find this very, oh, pray for Peter, pray for Peter, pray for Peter, pray for Peter. God says, what are you talking about? He is only harming himself. That fellow is harming a lot of other people. He will be judged more strictly than him. He said, you don't see how I see sin. God doesn't look at sin the way we look at sin. Doesn't look at sin. Doesn't look at sin the way we look at sin. God looks at sin completely different. That's why he Zachman preaches how God judged Adam and Eve for eating of the fruit. He never cursed them. He never cursed them. He said the ground is cursed, snake you're cursed. He never cursed Adam and Eve. Because they ate, they harmed themselves. But to Cain he says, Cursed you are. You will be a wanderer all the days of your life because you spilt your brother's blood. You sinned against your brother. They sinned against themselves. So God doesn't look at all sin the same way. Did you sin against yourself? Did you sin against others? When you sin against others, God says, I judge it more seriously. We look at it very lightly. God says, no, I don't look at it lightly. I don't look at it lightly. Take it very seriously. So look at and understand how God looks at life. God looks at life. Take it seriously, children. Take it seriously. Just walk with this, like Pastor Vijay says, with a short account with God. One day at a time. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of tomorrow. Today is the day of the Lord. Today is when I speak. Today when I speak, don't harden your heart. Walk with God. Not a difficult thing if you choose to walk with God daily. Otherwise, you're piling up. You're piling up and piling up. And God says, don't pile up. Shall we pray? Father, we just come to you this evening. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. We just thank you. You are so kind. So long-suffering towards us, O Lord. So long-suffering towards us, O Lord. Patient. Because your word says, O Lord, the long-suffering of God is salvation. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. That you didn't deal with us as we dealt with others. You were long-suffering and you were kind to us. And I pray, Father, you will teach us to be meek. Teach us to seek your face. Teach us to seek your power to change. Teach us to seek your kingdom and your righteousness first. Help us, Lord, the day of harvest, to be a wheat. The day of harvest, to be a sheep. The day of harvest, to hear from you, enter into my joy and not depart from me. Help us, Lord. Help us to see life through your eyes. Thank you, Father, once again for bringing us through 31 days. And as we go now back home, tomorrow another day comes. If you tarry to come tonight, give us another day, Father, I pray, tomorrow. As we heard, we will begin at Jerusalem. We'll seek your face, we'll seek your power, seek your strength, and go out and do your will. And do it speedily, Holy and joyfully, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.